You are listening to Natural Born Alchemist. Welcome to episode number 119 of the Natural Born Alchemist podcast. My name is Alex and I'll be your host. In this episode, my guest is Rak Rassam, who is the world's leading experiential journalist, writing about and helping shape the emergence of a new cultural paradigm in the 21st century. A writer, film producer and culture maker, he bridges the worlds of shamanism, consciousness and popular culture. He is currently developing an episodic TV show called Shamans of the Global Village, which he is the host, writer and producer of, together with director Niles Heckman. But as you will hear, he has a lot of projects up his sleeve. Let's begin. Thank you for taking the time to be on the podcast. It's okay, it's a pleasure to be here. So can you tell the listeners a bit about who you are and what you do? Well, my name is Rakrazam, and uh, I, I often find it a bit hard to say what I do because there's, uh, there's so many levels to it. Basically, I'm a media maker. I uh, write about and make documentaries about uh, consciousness issues, shamanism. I've done two books on ayahuasca and a documentary called Ayah Awakenings, which was based on one of the books. And my current, one of my current projects is uh, called shamansoftheglobalvillage.com, and it's intended to be an ongoing uh, episodic documentary series examining entheogenic medicines across the world and the role of the shaman uh, in modern culture. I also uh, am the director of a, a not-for-profit 501c3 uh, in America called the Terra Incognita Project, which is looking at the science uh or we call it neuroshamanism, behind um, essentially tryptamines, especially 5-MeO-DMT and unity consciousness. And I also lead uh, ayahuasca and uh, bufo, various toad medicine retreats in Peru and in Mexico. So I keep pretty busy both as a practitioner working on you know the edge of shamanic medicines and as a commentator in the culture helping to try and shape and give voice to this rise in interest in shamanism and what that means for us as a as a global culture so how come you got into shamanism and and these uh, medicine plants in the beginning well it's almost as if these things find you really um you know i i started off 11 years ago i went down to peru to do a freelance article on ayahuasca on the the role of the shaman in the 21st century uh and the interest in in western ayahuasca seekers and, you know, three months later, I came out completely transformed and basically initiated onto my spiritual path. Um, so I often find that, you know, the world sort of shapes us and that we're really gradiated by, by um, consciousness itself to, to slot in and find where we can blossom and where we can contribute back to, uh, to this planetary awakening that I believe is happening. So is it for you a noticeable difference in how you are as a person from before all this started and now? Yeah, I mean, it's always interesting to to look at yourself and to look at the ego construct of the identity that we create. I mean, essentially, you know, I almost feel the same. But if I look back and, and look at not just my belief systems, because I, I, I guess what, what I went down 
to the Amazon in 2006 with was some type of journalistic objectivity, which is completely, uh, you know, deconstructed in the face of the ayahuasca experience. Uh, you, basically, what I was doing, well, there was objectivity, but essentially there was this understanding that in sort of like gonzo reporting or reporting on consciousness and shamanic issues, you really have to, to go through the experience. You can't sort of do what CNN's Lisa Ling did a year or two ago when reporting on ayahuasca and report on the fad of ayahuasca or the experience, but not take it herself. You know, I, I sat with um, dozens of curanderos in the Amazon and went through the in internal experience. And I guess, number one, what it did was to uh, open me up to the fact that the reality of a multidimensional existence is just that, and that indigenous cultures and sort of, you know, mystic sort of uh, maps that different cultures had left behind were actually accurate and were actually something that is part of our human birthright. And the fact that I now understand that the the energetic ecology extends beyond the physical and goes into higher dimensional states of being, which some people would call spiritual. And there's a interior cartography or geography of that interior dimensional space, which Terence McKenna actually called the, the terra incognita, which is Latin for the invisible landscape. And, uh, you know, this is something which affects us, whether we believe it or not, which we have a, a connection to. Uh, and that life itself is sort of embedded within the physicality of life is embedded within a larger interdimensional matrix. Um, and that is part of us, you know, so my understanding of the world and then I guess of myself as a soul and a spiritual being on that journey has definitely expanded. And, you know, on a personality level, and I guess in uh, how that affects me, I guess I have a lot more presence and patience and understanding of uh, not linear cause and effect, but I actually really feel I have this real tryptamine consciousness um, understanding of the fact that everything is happening at once, that all of space-time is one macro object from the beginning of time to the end, if there's such a thing, and that as one macro organism, we're all within that and we're contributing to the evolution of that and that Essentially, it, um, it's alive, intelligent, and self-organizing. And in some senses, the future is affecting what we consider to be the present or the past, and that everything we do contributes to this uh, holographic and holistic perception of space-time. And, you know, that, that changes things when you have this understanding that, you know, you're, you're on a journey and that basically this is termed pro-noia which uh, I think Rob, Rob Bresney in an astrologer coined, but it's sort of the opposite of paranoia. It says that the universe is alive and intelligent and is conspiring against you, but for your best interests, you know, because you are a part of the universe and it's trying to blossom itself. It's trying to self-organize and to understand itself through the constructs of its species, you know, and, uh, and we're, we're part of that journey. I've been involved with these medicine plants for about eight years. And before I got involved, I spent several years, uh, I read everything on ayahuasca, like loads of books. I listened to hours and hours of Terence McKenna. And, you know, I, re I read trip reports. I, I basically, I could probably have held a, a speech at the university about ayahuasca, even though I hadn't taken it. And after I had my first experience, 
you know, I could see what all the things I've read and heard, how it was, how it related, how it was accurate, but still, I mean, it was not at all what I expected, <laughs> you know. So you can't read yourself to, you mean, you have, it's, you can only experience it because it, the difference is vast, I think. Well, it's very true. I, I think there's a, an analogy that Terence McKenna once used. It's like, well, you know, the, the, the psychedelic or the entheogenic experience is part of our sort of spiritual birthright as humans, but it's it's an initiation and it's something which basically if you're in a, a prepubescent state and, and you, you and you are told about sex and you have sex education and making love and, and there's so much intricate data and detail that the intellect could could map and think it has a body of knowledge about, but then it's a completely different experience to emotionally and spiritually go through that experience. And it's the same with ayahuasca and the antigens. It's great that in the Western culture, we now have a body of knowledge and an understanding about these types of modalities and these catalysts and how they plug us back into the Gaian mainframe. Uh, but it's still all an intellectual knowledge. And the intellect and the ego is essentially uh, you know, what is wrong on planet Earth is that it's out of control. The ego itself is not... not a bad thing, but the ego that is um, out of right relationship and has come to a dominance in the human organism and in the mental construct of who and what we think we are has distanced ourselves from that relationship with with the planet and uh, and the web of life. And so it's ironic because you know the psychedelics and entheogens are often called ego dissolving uh, um, substances, and a lot of the recent science with uh, MRI and, and EEG. Um, by the Beckley Foundation and MAPS and different institutes around the world, legally is studying psilocybin and ayahuasca and LSD, are pointing to the fact that, you know, at a scientific sort of biological level, these substances turn off the default mode network of the brain, which is these regional clusters which are involved in the sense of ego and identity. And it's almost as if, you know, the antidote to the ego, which for 10,000 years or so of his story of history has now been out of balance and has been distancing itself from the planet and then seeing the planet as something separate which can then be commodified and controlled and has put the planet in jeopardy and the whole ecosystem is now in transformation uh you know and we're living through what what people are calling the sixth great species extinction um but you know these substances uh, are part of i think the antidote to that and they need to be experienced, like to have a mental perception of them and to see now the probably hundreds of Facebook groups and online blogs and interests in this multidimensionality is the first step. You know, it's a very necessary step to intellectualize the shamanic experience. But the real initiation on a planetary level, as tribal cultures around the world deeply know, is to reweave and to reconnect to the planet and to let go of the ego in, in some sense and to rejoin uh, something larger than yourself. So it's something that has to be experienced. And, you know, it really is a, uh, a shamanic initiation I think we're going through as a culture uh, at this time. What I think is interesting is that even though uh, these sacred medicine plants or whatever you want to call them are at its highest peak of all time you know as far as, as it has it is as mainstream as it has ever been right now and even though you know like when you start getting involved in these plants 
you usually find the others, you reconnect with other people. And, you know, I surround myself with a lot of people who, who know about these things. But then sometimes when you get out of your own circle of friends, you realize that, you know, 99% of the world, it's still a secret. And I think that's, I mean, I don't understand how it could be a secret, how, how something like this could, uh, you know, be kept under wraps really you know because it's so earth shattering when you're actually in in it you know well <clears throat> that's very true but you know the, the, that may be a blessing in disguise because i mean the the, the shamanic experience and plant and plants and catalysts like ayahuasca or five meo dmt and the sonoran desert toad or san pedro or you name it these things are very powerful um tools and you know they really should be used in the correct way hopefully with the right intent and with the right set and setting and the lessons we've learned from the the 60s onwards. But one of the great things about the shamanic plants and earth medicines is that they're connected to a lineage and they usually have um, tribal or indigenous cultures that have been caretakers of these medicines that can show us the right way and the right container to take these in. And, uh, you know, that container or the idea of ceremony or ritual is now coming into the West as well alongside these medicines. So despite the fact that you may be able to, in some places, buy ayahuasca online in the root bark form, um, it's a terrible, terrible idea. It's a terrible way to do it because then the idea of these traumatic medicines is coming into the West without the right container. And so this idea of them being a secret, they're no longer a secret, but they, they are a gift and they are a treasure that indigenous cultures have maintained for thousands on thousands of years, despite Western culture, you know, uh, in its its empire phase 500 years or so ago, going over to the old world and conquering, you know, South America and Central America and trying to extinguish with the conquistadors, um, you know, the mushroom cults and the, the plants that they found in their indigenous cultures there and tried to suppress and repress in Europe, you know, the... Um, the millions potentially of women, witches and herbalists uh, and people that had connection to plants that changed consciousness or had an effect. Basically, the West is now relearning this secret which has been kept by indigenous cultures and it's no longer a secret. But then there's issues of how the West uh, outreaches and how it absorbs this knowledge because we have a dominant global paradigm of capitalism and consumerism and commodification which still sees everything as something to be bought and sold, to be taken, to be kept. And, you know, we have patent laws and we have ideas about um, control, basically. It's, it's basically still dominated culture trying to control the, the resources of the earth, including the, the, the shamanic uh, sacraments. And so it's great that the, the, there's fail-safes in that, like things like ayahuasca, can't be used recreationally because it's such a, a strong purgative. If listeners know, ayahuasca is made from at least two components, the ayahuasca vine, the Banisteriopsis carpi, which is a woody liana that grows in the jungles of uh, South America. And uh, it basically contains harmine and harmaline, which act as an MAO inhibitor. And when combined with other plants like chacruna or chalaponga, which contain dimethyltryptamine, uh, it can inju- help induce a, a deep and profound visionary state. But essentially, uh, anthropologists point to the fact that ayahuasca itself uh, has 
been rapidly changing as a brew over many generations through the Pan Amazonian Basin. And it really has been the, the surge of interest in Westerners for the last few generations, which may have been contributing to the the brew being more top heavy with the Chacuna and the DMT component for the visions and less about the, uh, the purgative effect, which is what indigenous people used it for to help protect them as an indigenous medicine and clean out their systems. And the shaman would, would often drink on the behalf of the patient. But essentially ayahuasca is still a purgative. And because of that, it is a very, um, it's a very challenging experience. People can vomit, they can have diarrhea, they can have a lot of different ways they purge the energy which needs to cleanse from their body as well as the physical purge. Uh, and it's a very um, it's a very big commitment to going through this experience. And so, you know, it, it protects it in some senses from, I guess, the, the absorption and the commodification of other substances like in the more recreational drug arena, even things like LSD, which in the 60s was a very powerful uh, spiritual tool, whether that, that language would have been used or not. It had a very um, uplifting and a very transformative effect on culture itself. Uh, but, you know, it, it can also, without the right container and set and setting, be used in a, in a more recreational set and setting like, like other entheogens can. But this is the real question. How do we, uh, how do we connect with the secret, which is not just that these plants and these substances exist, but, but where they, they guide us and where they lead us. And that's the thing, you know, unlike Western pharmaceuticals or ideas of medicines or even drugs, these substances the indigenous cultures say have spirits in them. They have um, divic spirits in them, like the spirit of ayahuasca, which in, in Peru they call madre or the mother. And you form a relationship with these substances. You don't just take something and it has a neurological effect on you you form a relationship with the spirit in the plant or the spirit in, in the sacrament. And these are sacraments. These are holy substances, which if used in the right way can have a deeply profound effect and a spiritual relationship and open you up and guide you into something much deeper than just a, a neurological experience. Um, so the secret is really not just that these plants and substances exist, but there is a relationship to spirit and to the spiritual ecology and the spiritual dimensions that these substances can help transport us to. So how do we um, undergo and absorb that that secret, you know? And what has happened in Western culture, at least in the last few thousands of years, many, many different cultures in the West had uh, entheogenic substances which were used as initiations for their citizens or their, their people. The, uh, the rites of Eleusius in ancient Greece Lasts for 2,000 years with the kayakion, which was reportedly a substance probably similar to LSD uh, from um, you know natural plant substances, but it was uh, essentially transmitted in a mystery school, like many of these um, these initiation experiences were in the West, where it had the right set and setting, the right context, and the right gravity to it that people in your culture would initiate you at certain times in your life to deeper experiences of the mystery itself because it's all set and setting. And, you know, if we just take these things recreationally somewhere out in a club, it's still an initiation, but there are deeper, deeper levels of uh, correct usage and ways that we can approach these substances to maximize the results both culturally and spiritually as individuals. And other cultures have known this. And I think we are relearning this of uh, how to 
crack the mystery and how to own the mystery and how to uh, understand the secret, which essentially can never be told because it is an ego dissolving experience, which goes beyond the intellect and it reconnects you on an emotional level, on a spiritual level, both to the web of life or to deeper and deeper aspects of source consciousness itself. And it has to be experienced. And once experienced, well, you can use words, but words aren't it. Words aren't what it's about. We can use the scaffolding of words to create a container to help uh, leave a trail for others who may come after us. Uh, but, you know, this sensual experience is something which must be experienced. And that is the real mystery. Yeah, it could be almost like what the Christians call when they like are reborn. Definitely. Definitely. I mean, but basically, you know, like 11 years ago, I first went down to the Amazon and had my first ayahuasca experiences. And now I lead, you know, annual retreats down to the Amazon to work with Percy Garcia, the, the curandero that I first sat with down there. Um, but I've also been expanding my work to work with the Sonoran Desert Toad, which is out of Mexico, uh, which is what my, my current documentary series, Shamans of the Global Village, episode one is about. But, I mean, that experience is, uh, I mean, the Sonoran Desert Toad essentially contains bufotenine and uh, a, a more um, core, core representation of 5-MeO-DMT from the, the secretions of the, the toad. That experience is, wow, it's, it's incredibly profound. It's probably nature's strongest entheogen, strongest substance in the sense that it essentially takes you to, this, to the center of unity consciousness itself, which is the source. And it, it's inescapable to try to, to use words to describe these experiences without getting mystical, essentially, because the only word maps we have in, in our culture have been left by other cultures, which the Vedic cultures are very good. You go, like, the toad experience at full release is essentially, you know, stage level five samadhi, which is full unification with deep source identification there's no ego left to remember that it is separate from the deep oceanic white light unity consciousness which is just eternal and i know this just sounds it's just words right but it's like these things are very deep initiations and these substances have been put in nature to connect with humans to bring us back into the web of life to bring us back into right relationship to uh to help us remember that which we we have forgotten um you know, but they are very, very deep initiations. And Daniel Pinchbeck, another psychedelic and consciousness commentator, has a new book out called How Soon Is Now? And it's basically looking at the whole cultural and evolutionary and ecological crisis as a planetary initiation. And, you know, I think he's right. I think that basically there are stages of consciousness and many different indigenous cultures point to the idea of world ages, of the fact that we go through different phases of time and in those different phases of time we have different levels of consciousness so you know the mayan culture had many different calendricals one of those uh was looking at um a deeper sort of galactic level of of orbits of the earth and our relationship to the galaxy and our relationship to the center of our galaxy which they called hunab ku which translates to the womb of the great mother now, it was only in 2002 that NASA has confirmed that at the center of our galaxy, there actually is a black hole, which, uh, you know, current astrophysics uh, has confirmed black holes. Also, most energy and matter goes into a black hole and they say nothing escapes it, except some energy uh, goes around the event horizon of the black hole and is 
uh, is also emitted out again or, or sort of projectiles out again and combines with space dust and other elements to combust and to be the birthing of stars. And they think this is, you know, the, the origin of how stars form now, if you look at, you know, modern astrophysics. And so it does seem that the, the ancient minds were right, that the, the, the center of our galaxy is the womb of the great mother, that it births suns into being. Um, but also they said it was the, the center of consciousness. And it's funny because the singularity of a black hole is also what uh, modern quantum physics posits could be at the center of every atom. And one of the theories of consciousness itself is that is if it's if it's not uh, if it's not something that is actually just created by the brain and the mechanism of the biological being, i.e., if it's not the brain just creating consciousness but receiving consciousness, then that would imply. And this, these theories of consciousness are hundreds of years old. That consciousness is actually also received, that is broadcast from somewhere and is received. And then that would lend more weight to indigenous cultures like the Maya's understandings of seasons of time and world ages and therefore also seasons of consciousness. So, you know, riffing off that, I have a little um, understanding or intuition that I, I do in some of my spoken word lectures around the fact that it's almost as if in modern terminologies, we've, we've, we've gone down to one bar, one bar consciousness, you know, because we, we're in what, uh, you know, different cultures called the Kali Yuga or an Iron Age or a time of consciousness that is degraded and not receiving essentially full signal. Um, and there have been other times in the, the turning of the world ages where we've had golden ages around the world. And that essentially would be a five bar signal, you know, five bar galactic godhead signal. And according to the, the main calendricals, you know, what the Western year 2012 was the ending of one world age and the beginning of another and we, we, we reset and went back to uh, to the beginning of, of the next phase. And it, we, we see all around us, you know, many, many signs in global culture of the end of things, the end of unsustainable paradigms and systems and of being. But that is also the prelude to the beginning of things, you know, because we know time will continue, the planet will continue this great ecological crisis that we are in. And, and frankly, you know, global uh, cultural crisis that we're in, which, as I said before, is part and parcel of this sense of the ego and what we've done for the last 10,000 years with the ego. And then you've got to really ask, why have we done that with the ego? Why have we separated from the planet? Why have we hoarded? Why have we, um, you know, remained separate? And why have we sort of been in fear of nature? Like most people now, there's over 51% of people that now statistically live in cities which are essentially sort of, you know, man-made um, artificial hives, almost like insect hives that separate them from nature and from the energetics of nature and from being connected to the web of life. And it's a real disconnect, which seems to suggest to me that we have some type of, um, I, I believe, a species PTSD, some, something that went on in our prehistory thousands and thousands of years ago, perhaps up to 10,000 of years ago in that cycle of time, in that world age we were in, where many cultures and their, their religious texts point to a fall. And that fall was in consciousness itself. It wasn't necessarily just that there was a, um, an ecological crisis or some great physical event like a, an asteroid impact, which we know has happened in prehistory. Um, but there was also some sense of 
disconnection from plugging into the levels of consciousness which the other species remain in. And, you know, there are no mistakes. We've come into this level of consciousness uh, and it's happening for a reason. But it's also created this ego identification and sort of this fear of connecting to nature and of seeing nature as separate. And now we're coming back into relationship with nature. And there's no coincidence that the shamanic sacraments are part of that initiation back into understanding nature itself and rejoining the web of life. And it's a very big responsibility, but it's a very sacred blessing to be coming back into the web of life and to be feeling that connection to nature and to source consciousness itself. And, you know, on this planet, you know, you can find DMT in a lot of, in you know, a multitude of organic material. And, you know, I have a, I have a book, an encyclopedia of every psychedelic plant there is. And it's, it's a very large book. So there's like hundreds and hundreds of these plants. And so really like the whole planet is just crammed with this stuff. So it's quite, uh, you know, this, this planet is like a, a, a garden of of these magical plants and so it's it's also a bit funny that it's so invisible in a sense well as i said again there's never any mistakes to this but we've gone through a cycle of time within which and and this is part of the planetary initiation thing it's like we're having a death and a rebirth and we've been disconnected from unity consciousness source consciousness we've had the fall for whatever reasons and look at the original text in the in the in the, at least in the Christian Bible, you have this idea of the garden, right? And of Adam and Eve and, and, and sin and all that stuff, which is whatever. It's just a story. But all these cultures had this idea of a garden and of relationship with nature and of being in. It wasn't just that we were in nature and in a garden and eating the fruits. We were in a state of consciousness that was somehow more elevated and more um, connected you know, then we are in now. We've had a degradation of consciousness, which I believe is not our fault. I think we've done the best we can with one bar consciousness. And basically in the seasons of consciousness, it's coming back and many different sort of new age and, and different, you know, mystical commentators point to this idea of an awakening. And what does that mean? You know, it means awakening to an understanding of who and what we really are. And what used to be the garden, which science can tell us used to cover essentially the entire earth, has now been reduced to very small tracts of land. And you look at the, the, the terrible statistics where they say, you know, like football sized fields um, are being, you know, cleared in the Amazon every few minutes. You know, it's like this incredible degradation of clearing the land and of clearing the dense interconnected uh, ecosystems which support life itself to then raise cattle to make McDonald's burgers. It's like this complete cultural civilizational dead end, which is happening because of a lack of consciousness. And that lack of consciousness, I, I believe, is because we've had lack of full connection signal from broadcast consciousness from source itself in the world age we've been in. The power plants and the entheogens never went away. They've been caretaken and looked after by indigenous cultures who have remained in concert and in right relationship with the earth and living, you know, in uh, pretty much, you know, homeostatic sort of parallel with the earth, not going beyond the boundaries of sustainability. And many of those cultures have a very deep, uh, almost organic sort of form of spirituality in that they understand, as in Peru, what they call 
um, the planet is Pachamama, is the earth, that she's alive, that she's, she's our mother, that we are in relationship with her. And it's only in the West that we seem to have become like rogue zombie vampire cannibals, destroying the earth and eating her up everywhere and killing ourselves in the process. But that time is fading. You know, the garden wants us back. But the thing is, if you look at, say, a few generations ago in, say, the, the mid-20th century, you look at post-World War II America, I mean, white picket fence America of, of the 1940s, 1950s, what was the, the sort of cultural culmination of hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of years of dominated culture of this idea of patriarchy and of conquering the earth and warring with other tribes and division and um, taking and, you know, what the, the documentary Konosquatsi called the world out of balance. That essentially won. It got to this apex of conquering the earth and mechanization, industrialization and suburbia and all of these things. And at that exact time, you know, how would the garden, how would the planet connect back to all these people living in cities and living in this industrialized culture? And at that same time, you know, essentially, I believe the miracle of, of and this might sound weird, but the, the miracle of LSD comes out of the labs through a, uh, a Swiss chemist, Albert Hoffman, in 1943, who discovered the ergo uh, derivative properties of lysergic acid uh, while, while examining, you know, this substance for, for aid in childbirth. I mean, that thing essentially is one molecule different, that chemical, from LSA, the morning glory seeds used by, or they call it aliloquy in Central American tribes, and perhaps is very, very similar to the rites of Eleusius and the mysteries that were practiced there for 2,000 years in the mystery schools. But essentially, regardless of, of how it was created or, or why, look at the effect of something like LSD in Western culture, essentially diverting the military-industrial war complex machine that had won World War II and opening up and paralleling many different social movements in the 50s and 60s, um, including, you know, Silicon Valley, which was ground zero for around the Bay Area for LSD manufacture and dissemination with their companies and, and the, the, the corporations which were involved with the creation of the Internet and of the modern cybernetic age that we live in. And if you, if you even think about what the current world age we live in, like, look at this now, connecting over Skype, having this conversation across the world. I'm in Australia, you're in another part of the world. Listeners are all over the world. We are cybernetically distributed as a consciousness, which is so far beyond 1950s uh, global consciousness of linear time and of understanding of cause and effect. We, we have somehow created this web of technology, which some people believe is an exosomatic evolutionary adaption um, as a communications channel, as a skin on the planet, which is part of the biological process of Gaia herself evolving the next layer of not just telecommunications, but of uh, sentience and awareness herself. And that was paralleled to and perhaps seeded by the LSD revolution, which also paralleled, you know, the human rights movement, the civil war movement, uh, the women's movement, the ecological movement, so many social causes which aren't necessarily just intellectual causes, but are emotional causes, which open up those aspects of, of the culture. So what I'm trying to say is, at that time in history, 
there seemed to be, you know, you could look back and say that there were shifts in culture that, that were mediated through chemicals, which, yes, may have come out of a lab, but what the cause and effect of that was, was to bring us back into a larger um, relationship and understanding of ourselves as multidimensional beings. And, you know, I have a little phrase that acid opened the mind in the 60s. In the 80s, the ecstasy uh, rave generation opened up the heart chakra and the feeling and, and that type of um, capacity. And then it paved the way for in the early 21st century in the noughts for this shamanic resurgence and this uh, ayahuasca boom and this understanding of plant medicines, which are the remnants of the garden uh, globally in the cultures which still are caretakers of them, to connect because there was no way that Western culture in the 1950s, for instance, could go back to the garden, could go back to the mother, to this understanding of plant medicines, because they had literally spent thousands of years trying to eradicate the connection with plant medicines, which, as the legacy of the Judeo-Christian sort of empires and religions, saw as the work of the devil and tried to extinguish in all the indigenous cultures which they encountered in the, in the first world in Mesoamerica. And so, you know, essentially through this stepping stone of lab-based chemicals, we have been invited back to the garden, as you say. We have been invited back to the understanding that there is a multidimensional ecology that we are part of, that affects us ongoingly, that we are in relationship with. And, you know, we, William Burroughs and Ellen Ginsberg went down to, uh, to Peru in the, in the mid-1950s, which they chronicled in their, in their correspondence in the Yahe letters. And... You know, Ginsburg and or Burroughs ran basically, you know, screaming and, and fleeing the ayahuasca experience because it was too out there even for him. And that was like the first steps. There's no way without having gone through successive generations of mind expansion and soul expansion that we could be at the culture we are now, where global shamanic culture, I believe, is reseeding and uh, spreading across the planet and it seems to be that there is a pattern to this and a interspecies mediation going on through the the plants themselves and through Gaia herself and there is a larger intelligence at work in this because Gaia is the originating intelligence she is the mother and we are just one strand of the species extension of her and there's something larger in the, the process of life itself and how that uh, mediates itself going on Terence McKenna also used to say that you can look at plant entheogens as uh, exopheromones, and he pointed to the fact that nature uses uh, different species to communicate with each other. So a bee may, for instance, you know, uh, pollinate a flower and then take that pollen back, and you know, many many uh, species within nature uh, work in symbiosis, whether they're aware of it or not. But what they do is they carry information, genetic information, or, or you know communication information that changes uh, their energetic relationships. And he was looking at the fact that things like ayahuasca, psilocybin mushrooms, all these entheogens, when we take them, we have direct uh, locks in our brain, different, different uh, capacities within the biological uh, structure of consciousness itself where these substances work. As I was saying earlier, they pretty much all of them affect the default mode networks and lower uh, the sense of ego which is what essentially has created the dominated culture, which has created global culture, which was perhaps needed as a response to the fall of consciousness in that world age, but is not needed any longer because it's created the problems. 
But when these substances then mediate consciousness, they act as uh, interspecies messengers to communicate from taking that plant or that substance the deeper communication and the deeper understanding of Pachamama or the earth or Gaia um, herself. And then they change us. They change the human species. And this is, I think, the great potential and flowering and message and understanding of the shamanic experience. It's not just that we need healing, like ayahuasca has received so much press and positive uh, you know, correspondence around the world because it is such an effective healing mechanism for consciousness and for people themselves to help deal with their trauma and stresses and all the things that have, um, you know, the, 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 the unhealthiness and the, the, the out-of-balanceness of Western rat race culture, which has created, you know, essentially sickness in our, in our, in our global um, being, that these medicines can help clear that sickness and reveal that we are our own medicine within. But then the deeper healing and the deeper medicine is that they connect us back to the web of life, to a shamanic, re-indigenalized perspective where we realize we're all citizens and participants in what Buckminster Fuller called Spaceship Earth, um, and that there is no separation. When the ego was lowered, we understand that we are essentially nerve endings or extensions of source in matter expressing itself you know, on the skin of Gaia herself. We, we are all in this interspecies symbiosis and we need to work in synergy with each other to have a, a planet and a culture which is sustainable, reciprocable, equitable. Um, and that is, I think, you know, the, the basis of how golden ages start in the next phase of consciousness. So one thing is that, you know, all these people who are, you know, more conscious thanks to their experiences with ayahuasca, for instance. It doesn't seem like these people have any interest in becoming president or running the banks or the big corporations and create a change from inside. And it doesn't seem like those leaders of society have an interest in ayahuasca. So that, that's one aspect. But also it could be that because we're in the middle of all this right now, we don't see it. So maybe in like 30 years, when we look back at this time, we will see that oh, this, is, this is how... The change happened yeah there's a few things in that i mean number one it's not to say that these substances are for everyone um essentially the connection that these substances can show us is for everyone but also you know i, I believe to a very large degree that these shamanic sacraments are essentially catalysts which remind us that we are divine beings and that we have this capacity within ourselves for instance you know when the default mode network goes off on many different entities, um, the mind at large, what Algis Huxley called the mind at large, seems to be what what is then available to us in, in that state of being. And we connect to denser and larger um, states of information exchange with the larger interdimensional energetic ecology. Um, but that can happen through fasting. It can happen through trance dance. It can happen through tantra. It can happen through spontaneous mystical activation. It seems to be that, you know, the, the, again, this is another great Terence McKenna quote. And God bless Terence because, you know, he seems to be the mimetic forefather of us all, that so many of the ideas uh, he has laid down and some of the mimetic architecture he's created have created the, um, the, the seedbed for, for a lot of these discussions. But he had a very tight phrase he called, 
plan, plants, planet. And the idea that the planet has a plan involving the plants that really is reweaving us back into, into the matrix and into the whole thing. So it seems to me that because we are living in such dire um, times of planetary crisis, which have been to a very large degree uh, with global warming and things like that created by human intervention and the human uh, ego, which has not been in reciprocal relationship with the planet, the planet herself is reaching out to these other aspects of herself that are the humans and trying to wake them up and to mediate them by saying, hey, if you re-engage with these substances, you will get a very short, sharp wake-up call and plug straight back into the planetary matrix. And then you, you may understand what it's all about. It's not that you have to do this. We're not saying people needs to take ayahuasca or like they said in the 60s, if you put LSD in the water supply and everyone just switched on, the world would suddenly be a better place. You can't do that to people. You can't force people to awaken. You know, basically on a soul level, everyone will awaken when they're ready. And the, the, the thing is, this is the time and the generation and the moment, whether you like it or not, whether you want to remain asleep or not, you cannot remain ignorant of the fact that we are undergoing a planetary emergency. And from the planetary emergency, we have the capacity to emerge and have this spiritual emergence because this is the process. This is the natural process of how it works. DNA is actually designed to respond to its environment. This is how evolution works. It reads its environment and the needs on the ground and you have the evolutionary adaptions. If you live, you know, in a small little white cubicle for eight to 10 hours a day and go home to another small little cubicle, and are not feeling the wind, not feeling the grass under your feet, not connecting with nature, not getting sunlight, you are not getting fed. You are not getting the signal processing from nature herself, which activates and mediates your consciousness. You know, you're not getting vitamin D, you're probably getting depressed. Essentially, by living in cities, we're living a dysfunctional um, cultural, you know, groove, and we're not in contact with nature. But nature, we are nature. It's just that we're, we're, we're in a disconnect from that. So nature seems to be reaching for the emergency breaks. And, and, and culturally, these substances are becoming aware again in Western culture. The problem is they, they, there's a, a large potential for commodification and misuse if the import of these substances does not come also with the import of the right relationship, the right container, the ritual, the ceremony, and the right approach, which is essentially what in the West mystery schools used to teach when they had these initiations and the cultural, um, the cultural uh, context for these, these, these substances. So the other thing is ayahuasca, especially as a, as a mediator on behalf of the planet for the last 10, 15, 20 years, has been having an enormous effect because it is extremely powerful and successful at helping heal or alleviate or recognize people's traumas and helping them to heal themselves. Ayahuasca isn't necessarily a wonder pill or substance that just does all the work. What it really can do, and some of the neuroscience on projects like the Hawaska project that Dennis McKenna helped spearhead almost 20 years ago now, looking at the, uh, the neuroscience behind ayahuasca, and there's current tests being done by Dr. Jordi Reber and the, the Beckley uh, Foundation looking at the EEG and neuroscience behind ayahuasca, um, essentially, you know, what it's saying it, it's doing with the default mode network type uh, switching off 
it allows the subconscious to come into the conscious mind and allows all the buried traumas and uh, you know processing that hasn't been processed in the the intellect and in, in the mind itself. Indigenous cultures essentially say that there's a an energetic body, an emotional body, and a physical body, and sickness comes out in the physical body as a port of last call. So when you in these uh, these altered states and you're connecting with deeper levels of yourself, any buried traumas has a greater capacity to come up and to be healed, especially if you have the right container and the right set and setting where you're in a ceremony which is helping you to create an intent, to work with that intent, to go deeper into yourselves, to have integration time, um, things like that. So, you know, it, it works. It comes up. You can sort of program your subconscious or, or let go of your cultural programming and let your subconscious come up and the healing often works but people often mistake ayahuasca itself for the healing mechanism when in fact it's the relationship of ayahuasca with you and your own capacities to heal yourself and you know to, to take that responsibility that work but having said that there are you know the 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 shamanic sort of community often comes out with um certain stories or you see things posted online about celebrities and ayahuasca is totally sweeping Western culture and totally sweeping Hollywood in the West. Lindsay Lohan, you know, experienced ayahuasca about two or three years back and tweeted it, uh, her experiences. She actually, you know, sadly had a miscarriage and she used it for the right reasons to help her come to an emotional understanding of how to deal with her grief and trauma. And she had great results from it. She really felt a sense of well-being and at peace with her emotional self after her experiences. And then she tweeted that to 8 million of her followers. And, you know, that's the tip of the iceberg. I know that ayahuasca, there's the usual celebrities that have trotted out that have done ayahuasca like Sting or Tori Amos or Paul Simon. Paul, um, but there's, you know, that, that's really the tip of the iceberg. You hear word of mouth in the shamanic underground of doctors and lawyers and politicians in many countries around the world taking ayahuasca or shamanic substances. I know firsthand from my experiences that many of the elite entrepreneurs and people like that are really uh, coming to the shamanic medicines for a deeper understanding of themselves and hopefully to then apply that knowledge how to how to be better, not just entrepreneurs or business people, but to how to be better human beings and how to then use their leverage in society to create a difference and how to give back and how to be better stewards for the resources they have. So I think there's a great rebalancing and cultural healing going on with these substances but as you say regardless of that the demographics are such that it's probably still one or two or three percent of the overall global population and ultimately there's also a lot of um, issues around supply and demand of these substances where there's not enough ayahuasca in the world for everyone and it's, it's depopulating the natural resources of the amazon there's potentially not even enough psilocybin mushrooms in the world for everyone. Um, the one thing that I do see is our birthright and that there is enough of for everyone is endogenous uh, tryptamines themselves, both N-dimethyltryptamine and 5-MeO-dimethyltryptamine. Uh, and uh, what I believe is happening, some of the, the brews with ayahuasca, which contain the N-dimethyltryptamine, which bring on the visionary state, some brews in different regions of the Amazon, they call Yahe and they contain the 5-MeO-DMT. The 5-MeO-DMT essentially takes you to more of a less visionary state and more of a white light, oceanic, unity state of rejoining a sense of, wow, 
what some cultures call God. Some cultures call this oceanic sort of source consciousness, this sense of belonging and identifying with not the individual ego anymore, but merging with a larger, loving, um, all-present, radiating super consciousness that is everything everywhere. Um, that can be present in the entheogenic experience and ayahuasca and other substances. It is very much the... Um, the takeaway experience from people who experience the snoring desert toad and the full release of 5-MeO-DMT. But still, what I truly believe is all of these things are just catalysts and stepping stones for the entrainment of Gaian consciousness and source itself saying, remember, come back to the garden, but remember you too are a flowering soul. You too have this capacity within yourself and you don't need to take ayahuasca. You don't need to take the bufo or various toad. You just need to remember how to do this yourself because nature has built into our own wetware in our consciousness the tryptamine package. It is there. If you are in total darkness for 10 days, which some indigenous cultures still practice, and you can actually do the Mantak Chia darkness rituals um, and retreats in Thailand, and I know that some Mexican shamans still do these darkness retreats, after four or five days, the melatonin that travels down your serotonin pathways and is the, uh, the thing which gives you your skin pigmentation and helps mediate uh, you know, vitamin D uh, absorption and sunlight, that fades out of your, your system. You start to produce pinealine, which acts as a booster for your endogenous tryptamines. By day six or seven, you will start to produce endogenous, which means native to the brain, uh, 5-MeO-DMT, which is nature's strongest entheogen or psychedelic. And you will go into these mystic, native um, uh, connection to the white light, to the source itself, to feeling this state of unity consciousness. And then by day eight or nine, you will start to produce an N-dimethyltryptamine and go into the visionary state. There are tribes in Ecuador, the Sequoia, who work with the 5-MeO-DMT in their ayahuasca or yahe brew. They say that the knowledge of the yahe was given to them by the, uh, the star people or the people who live in the light and uh, that, you know, they prepare their, their Yahe brew for two weeks, singing to it, to vibrationally purifying it, to making sure that it's the most pure form of medicine they can. And they drink the, the Yahe in hammocks off the ground to be less connected to the earthy level and more connected to the inner light. And, uh, you know, they, they basically say that there are these ancestor beings that live in the light. And it's like we have this capacity to go towards these 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 modalities and these these states of being and to remember this capacity within ourselves and you know we don't need the external catalysts of these shamanic medicines we are shamanic medicine and this is what our family in the animal kingdom the vegetable kingdom and the mineral kingdom are all telling us they're saying humans you are divine beings you have the capacity to awaken to this potential within yourself and what i see is the shamanic paradigm unfolding in the West is a phase state or a stepping stone uh, to reclaiming our endogenous ability to learn how to lock in this pathway within ourselves. And this is basically the work that we do with the Terra Incognita project in Mexico on the retreats that we lead by using the, the Bufo Alvarius Toad as the catalyst, but then using EEG and neurofeedback to help people lock in that uh, feeling and that state within their own uh, consciousness, and then it's with you forevermore. You're not in necessarily the deep 
uh, 5-MeO state all the time, but you have the pilot light within you that is awakened and the capacity to tune into that. And with ongoing yoga and meditation and consciousness work, you can maintain the relationship with source that is, is our potential and our birthright that is within us. And for me, that's the most exciting thing about um, consciousness research and the shamanic paradigm is that we have this potential and we're learning how to anchor it once, once more. So can you talk a bit about uh, your uh, documentaries and books and where people can find these things? Yeah, so I have a, a, a website called iaya-awakenings.com and you can find my book Ayah Awakenings at that, uh, at that site and the second companion book, The Ayahuasca Sessions, which was a collection of uh, you know, over 30 interviews with uh, shamans and curanderos uh, and people that work with ayahuasca uh, in Peru. Uh, you can also find information at Ayah Awakenings forward slash retreats on that website about my uh, annual retreats. I've got some coming up in June 2017, going down to Peru for 10 days to work with my maestro uh, curandero Percy Garcia Lozano. Uh, 10 days and five ayahuasca ceremonies and a lot of conversations like this. We do a lot of workshops and I lead some lectures and discussions on the global shamanic resurgence and consciousness and uh, this awakening process that we're, we're all uh, going through. That's the ayahuasca sort of uh, website. You can also find more of my work at rakrazam.com and the Terra Incognita project is Latin for Earth Terra, T-E-R-R-A hyphen incognita hyphen project.org. And that has uh, some information on uh, the neuroshamanism research, the science and uh, and shamanism retreats. And it's a 501c3 not-for-profit organization uh, founded in California a few years ago. And we do accept donations from the public to help us fund research into tryptamines and uh, the consciousness behind that and uh, a lot of these issues I've been talking about. So. Yeah, I really love to connect with people, to reach out and to drop me a line. They can find me through those websites. And I'd love to um, go on a retreat or to uh, have people find me. I also have my own podcast. You can see on my website, it's called In a Perfect World, talking about a lot of these issues. And uh, yeah, I am Rakrazam and I am humbly presenting myself to you, the global audience. Cool. I will also post some of those links in the program notes so people can easily find them. Uh, so thanks a lot for taking the time to talk to me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Go to rakrasam.com. That's R-A-K-R-A-Z-A-M.com. And if you go to naturalbornalchemist.com, you'll find uh, this link and more relevant links to Rakrasam there. Now I think the best way to end this episode is with a very beautiful Icarus simply called Ayahuasca from the compilation album Woven Songs of the Amazon. And this is an amazing album of Icarus, and I implore anyone that likes these sacred songs to get this album. Just Google Woven Songs of the Amazon and you'll find it online. But of course, I will also post some links in the program notes on naturalbornalchemist.com. If you enjoy the podcast, follow and like the social media or send a donation. Next week is the last Sunday of the month and you can look forward to an excellent talk by the great Terence McKenna. Freedom is in the mind.
ya inoso, ayaka ya inoso, awempa ubitana, awempa ubitana, arahani jimaga, arahani jimaga, mwayon paribano, mwayon paribano,